and thanks for tuning in to Episode 5 of Speaking of MedTech, a podcast series from MedTech Insight on all things medical devices. I'm MedTech Insight Executive Editor Sean Schmidt. And I'm Steve Silverman, a former compliance director for the U.S. Food and Drug Administration's Device Center. I'm now head of the Silverman Group, a consultancy for industry. On today's show, we're talking MedTech user fees, specifically the Medical Device User Fee Amendments, or MEDUFA, the negotiations for which rolls around every five years. The MEDUFA talks between industry and the FDA appear with the inevitability of an unloved season. It seems no one is ever terribly excited to engage in the user fee process, which can be messy and complicated. And talks for the latest negotiations, which is MEDUFA 5, have been no different. MEDUFA 5 will go into effect in 2023, despite formal negotiations between industry and FDA having begun late because of the pandemic. So, Steve, let's start with a quick history lesson here. Explain how the user fees came into being in the first place. They go back to 2002 with negotiations even before then, right? That's right, Sean. The device user fee process began in 2002 and runs for five-year periods. There are a couple of interesting things to point out, or at least I consider them interesting. First, the whole user fee program is based on congressional action. That is, Congress authorized FDA to collect device user fees, and without that authorization, FDA just couldn't do it. Second, prescription drug user fees were in place for about 10 years before device user fees even began. So Congress, FDA, and industry went to school on that putt. That means that much of the device user fee program is based on the drug user fee program. But there are some important differences. Drug user fees, for example, can cover post-market activities. That means FDA activities that occur after drugs are reviewed and approved. But device user fees are explicitly limited to pre-market review activities, things like PMA and 510K review. Last, we talk about the five-year cycle. But honestly, Sean, the user fee process is really complicated. And as you know, it starts well before year five. Both FDA and industry begin thinking before then about what's working, what could be changed, and whether those changes are worth paying for. Plus, even after FDA and industry agree, the whole package has to go to Congress for review and approval. This means front-loading the process for as much as a year to permit congressional review. And obviously, like I said, COVID threw a wrench in the negotiations for MEDUFA 5. Yeah, COVID sucks. And once again, it screwed things up. In part, there were logistical nightmares. Traditionally, negotiations take place face-to-face. Now they need to happen remotely. Anyone who's been on Zoom, and that's probably most of us, knows how great it is when you have multiple parties on a single call with lots of speakers talking about complex issues. Then you have to confirm that everybody heard and agreed to the same thing because miscommunication is an even bigger risk when the parties aren't sitting around the same table. So I wasn't in those calls, but I just can't imagine how tough it's been to communicate effectively. Plus, FDA and industry are trying to conduct these negotiations while responding to a global pandemic. So in addition to basic questions like how to get folks together to talk, each party has its own set of complicating challenges. For example, when do you schedule internal meetings to figure out your negotiating position or to respond to proposals raised by the other party? 
all of these factors make negotiations tougher and have slowed them down. Okay, so why would industry agree to user fees anyway? And what's in it for the FDA's device center? Obviously, both sides are getting things they want. I think that the answer comes down to efficiency, predictability, and capacity. So let's focus on efficiency. User fee discussions began because the Center for Devices and Radiological Health, or CDRH, like other FDA product centers, had a history of slow reviews following product submissions. That's bad for industry, obviously, because device businesses want to get their products through CDRH and onto the market as quickly as possible. More important, these delays hurt patients who need access to new devices, often with new technologies to prevent and treat disease. So a hamstrung process that protracts CDRH decision-making and postpones product availability just doesn't work. So what's the answer? Back in 2002, and probably even today, CDRH would tell you, we don't have the resources, money, and things like IT infrastructure we need for prompt and efficient device review. And Congress is not going to make up for that shortfall. So there's this innovative system where CDRH tells industry, look, you give us fees based on your facilities and device submissions. We're not going to promise to approve those devices, but we will commit to making critical decisions like whether the device will be approved in a timely and predictable way. We'll make these decisions more quickly and according to set time frames. We're also going to get smarter. We know where the gaps are and we know how to close those gaps. And we'll make sure that we have the people to get the job done. When this means hiring, we'll hire. When this means training, we'll train. And we'll generate reports to provide empirical data about our progress. So this sounds like a great solution, right? FDA gets more resources Industry gets predictability and accountability, and patients get faster access to critical devices. What's not to love? But no surprise, the process is imperfect. Industry and FDA agree that there have been major improvements from user fees, but gaps persist in areas like review times, consistency, and whether each side has done all that it has promised to do. Interesting. So what's one of the bigger challenges for the agency? Sean, hiring is absolutely a critical challenge. Industry is concerned about whether FDA has met its hiring commitments. FDA, for its part, is struggling to recruit applicants and get them through the hiring process. And and let me be clear, that process can be a complete nightmare. Even for qualified candidates, from recruiting to interviewing to onboarding, is a process that typically spans many months and it's fraught with ridiculous administrative hurdles. FDA has worked hard to improve this process, but serious log jams remain. And we haven't even talked about what happens when new recruits start work. Simply put, they need to learn how to do their job. A new hire doesn't walk into CDRH and become a competent reviewer the next day. Learning how the device center works takes time. I think it's optimistic to set that transition period at a year. But even then, we're talking about a long time between when new employees come on board and when they can make a meaningful contribution as device reviewers. And it's not just the device industry that has these user fees. The pharma industry has them too, as you already mentioned. I'm not sure about biologics, though. 
Yeah, you're right, Sean. There's user fees for drugs and devices. I think that these are the 600-pound gorillas of FDA user fee programs. But there are also user fees, I think, for animal drugs and what are referred to as biosimilars, which are a subset of biologic products. Now, the interesting thing is that the user fees from industry don't cover all of the device center's costs, right? Correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a shortfall there. Yeah, that's also absolutely right, Sean. And neither FDA nor industry nor Congress nor patients want there to be 100% user fee funding. I think that the key concept here is regulatory capture. And that's just the idea that a government agency is controlled by the industry that it's tasked with regulating. In the device world, this would mean that CDRH is owned by industry. Even if CDRH were to say, oh, no, we're not committing to approve devices. We're just committing to make decisions about whether devices should be approved. The concern is that whoever pays the bills calls the shots. So the answer is to assure that most CDRH funding comes from Congress, not industry. That way, CDRH doesn't have to worry about whether a regulatory decision will be unpopular with industry and put funding at risk. Okay, so let's talk a bit about what the FDA committed to doing under MEDUFA 4, which is the current User Fee Act that went into effect in 2017. Off the top of my head, I can think of a few agency programs that came about because of MEDUFA 4. There's the new 510K progress tracker that went online in August. Um, there's the Voluntary Malfunction Summary Reporting Program that I believe was launched in 2018. That program allows makers of a majority of devices to report their adverse events quarterly and in a summarized way. Oh, and there's the eStar program that makes it easier for manufacturers to make 510K and and actually soon de novo submissions to the agency. And that's just a few things. I, I haven't even mentioned the FDA's review goals. So don't forget about real-world evidence and NEST. And I'm not talking about birds. All right, I need to stop here for a second. That NEST pun is terrible, and I'm a little ashamed. Um, that seems appropriate. So let's talk about NEST. NEST, N-E-S-T, is an acronym that stands for the National Evaluation System for Health Technology. This is an FDA-blessed organization formed to promote use of real-world evidence, often called RWE. So RWE, in turn, is evidence to support CDRH that comes from untraditional data sources. Some examples of RWE include patient registries, electronic health records, and medical claim forms. And Sean, we could spend an entire podcast talking about real-world evidence and the data that it comes from. And, you know, at some point, Sean, maybe we will. For now, it's enough to say that RWE and NEST featured prominently in the last round of user fee negotiations. And these topics aren't going away. CDRH is all in on real-world evidence, and NEST seems like an inextricable part of how this evidence will be developed. Yes, and just to go back to my comment about those MEDUFA 4 review goals, I have to give a shout-out to MedTech Insight senior reporter Danny Al-Farouk, who spoke the other day with an FDA official 
who said the agency is struggling to meet its promised review times because of the sheer number of submissions mixed with COVID, mixed with resource issues. Yeah, it's good reporting, and it's what I've seen as well. In other podcasts, we've talked about the impact of COVID. It's turned FDA priorities, including the device center priorities, on their heads. So in part, this means overburdened staff that spends tons of time handling emergency use and other pandemic activities. It also means uncertainty about whether prior commitments, like the last round of Medufa agreements, will be fulfilled. So this FDA official, who's remained anonymous because of the sensitive nature of the Medufa 5 negotiations, this official is bemoaning the fact that Pidufa for drug user fees has a workload adjuster built into it while Medufa doesn't. The FDA official said, quote, we get the dollars that we get. And so if the workload is underestimated, then we may not have sufficient funds to run the program. And obviously that is a topic of discussion as a part of Medufa 5, end quote. So what's your thoughts on that? And also for listeners who might not be familiar, explain what a workload adjuster is. Here's my understanding of what a workload adjuster is. Simply put, it's a trigger. So if industry and FDA negotiate for a certain level of resources based on predictions of what FDA will need using past experience, and then there is an unusual event, say a pandemic, that totally changes the resource needs, the trigger allows FDA to go back to industry and say, hey, We made an assessment based on our understanding of what to expect using past history, but what's going on now is new and we need to account for it. And so let's talk about additional resources. But in the CDRH context, the device context, to be clear, I don't know if there are substantive factors that make a workload adjuster a no-go for devices. But in the abstract, I understand the logic, and I think that we've all seen beyond doubt that FDA, including the device center, can be hit by unforeseen factors with unknowable consequences that impact work performance. So anything that we can do to mitigate and manage these risks seems like an idea worth discussing. So let's talk about the ongoing Medufa 5 talks. Who represents CDRH and industry in these negotiations? Basically, industry is represented by a team comprised of medical device trade associations like AdvaMed, the Medical Device Innovation Consortium, or MDIC, and the Medical Imaging and Technology Alliance, or MIDA. The idea here is that, taken together, these associations represent the diverse perspectives of the medical device industry. This gives FDA reliable benchmarks to assure that its decisions reach all device makers. CDRH also participates in the negotiations, of course, and you might think that CDRH senior leaders like Center Director Jeff Shuren or Bill Mizell, who directs the CDRH Office of Product Evaluation and Quality, would just be sitting at the negotiating table representing the device center. But usually that's not the case. I mean, yeah, Jeff and Bill are present and negotiating from time to time, and they definitely know what's going on, but CDRH is represented by staff outside the device center, and and that makes sense. Working a bit behind the scenes gives CDRH some cover. They're not necessarily the bad guys delivering news that industry doesn't want to hear. Plus, 
the layer between CDRH and industry gives the center some room to consider proposals on the table. Does anyone else get input? Other stakeholders? Industry and CDRH are the major players, but they're not the only ones at the table. The public also has a voice. In fact, by law, CDRH must keep the public informed about user fee negotiations and provide opportunities for input. Okay, so what does the device center want to do with the new user fees they're going to get under Medufa 5? And maybe even more important to many of our listeners, what does industry want the FDA to do? Yeah, those are the $60,000 questions because CDRH and industry definitely are not singing from the same hymnal. So let's start with CDRH. I think that the center's view is expansive, and that's in sync with how CDRH operates. There's a consistent focus on the next horizon. That's to say, what is the next big thing that CDRH can do? And this expansive model has been transformational. I doubt that we would see a reorganized device center focused on the total product life cycle without it. And I question whether CDRH could have as adroitly handled pandemic demands without leadership and staff used to pivoting to take on new challenges. But this forward-leaning posture may not always jibe with industry priorities and expectations. No one is going to criticize CDRH for its pandemic activities. But the question is, what now? Not everyone believes that there's value in rushing to the next horizon. On the contrary, there's a lot of industry members and others who believe, okay, the world has been in chaos, and now it's time to reset. For CDRH, that means evaluating how it's fulfilling its core responsibilities and where there's room for improvement. That's the idea of back to basics. Let's look at the commitments that CDRH made in Medufa 4. Has it met those commitments? Notably, industry and CDRH have different views in areas like staff hiring, training, and retention. And they have different views about how CDRH should be spending its time and energy. Industry is saying, look, CDRH, we know that there are new horizons, and right now we're not interested in exploring them. We want to talk about basic device review. Does CDRH have the staff, technology, infrastructure, and other resources to inform and evaluate product submissions? If there's room for improvement, resources should be focused there, not on additive programs that don't directly support core functions. So what are some of the sore spots for industry and FDA in these negotiations? According to minutes from earlier this year, it seems like they're tangling a bit over a new program the agency wants, the Total Product Lifecycle Advisory Program, or TAP. Yeah, TAP is a big deal. So what is it? I think that the right explanation is that TAP is a CDRH-run sandbox. And when I say quote-unquote sandbox, that means that it's a space for CDRH to engage device developers and device makers at an early stage. Experts are available to counsel these innovators on product design, navigating the CDRH review process, labeling and production, etc. That's a broad overview, and I know that CDRH leaders would tell me about the many parts that I've missed. But I think that a lot of what I've covered, Sean, is on track. The problem, I think, is that industry is not sure that it wants to pay for what CDRH is selling. That brings us to back to basics. Acting as industry's transmedium, I'd say, look, FDA, we're not sure that industry, 
the public and other stakeholders actually need FDA to take on this role. More important, we never agreed to pay for this kind of program. We'll pay CDRH to conduct traditional device review activities. These are the activities needed to get devices submitted, reviewed, hopefully approved or cleared and on the market. We're not looking for CDRH to serve as a device incubator. If the center needs money for this initiative, it should ask Congress for appropriations. Industry hasn't agreed to foot the bill. What are some other disagreements industry and FDA have had so far? They're also at odds over carryover user fee funds, right? Yes. The issue of carryover user fee funds is huge, and I mean that literally. So, first of all, what are these carryover funds? Basically, it's money that industry paid to FDA in the past as part of past user-free programs. So, industry now says to FDA, awesome, we gave you bucket loads of money that you weren't able to use. We think you should credit that money against future user-free costs. And FDA says, oh, that's hilarious. But no, that's actually our money, and we have plans for it, like IT improvements. To make things more interesting, CDRH also says, don't you remember that we talked to you about using the money for IT improvements? And you were like, yes, CDRH, that sounds awesome. And industry responds, uh, we don't remember that conversation. And really, we'd love that money credited back to us. So there's big money on the table. And as far as I can tell, no resolution. I'm confident, Sean, that these and other issues are going to get resolved as part of the user fee negotiation process, but credibly, I can't even guess at what that resolution will be. How are these disagreements typically settled during these negotiations? I think it's unusual to see this level of disagreement. So if you look at other FDA program areas, like drugs, for example, their user fee package is already negotiated, and FDA and industry got there without major drama. By contrast, the device user fee package is really up in the air. Still, as I said, I expect that CDRH and industry will reach a negotiated agreement. We've talked a bit about needing to send an integrated fee package to Congress for legislative action to make that package official. No one, not industry, not CDRH, perhaps even most of all Congress, wants a disputed fee package. Making Congress the decider is just creating a morass. If it happens, honestly, Sean, we can dedicate a whole new podcast episode to that problem. I bet we could. And what about where they align? What are some things both industry and the agency are absolutely in lockstep on from Medufa 5? As we've discussed, there is agreement. It's mostly on the nuts and bolts stuff. CDRH needs to conduct timely and predictable device reviews. Center staff must be available to advise companies about those reviews and the information that they need to conduct them. And this means that there needs to be enough CDRH staff with proper training to support product review. These goals aren't controversial. How much of a priority they are, how to get there, what other programs CDRH will introduce and who will pay for those programs are all on the table for discussion. So what happens after the device center and industry negotiate an agreement? Two things. 
First, like I said, the package has to go to Congress for approval, and a lot can happen during the approval process. For example, Congress may disagree with negotiated goals or the strategies to achieve them. In that case, Congress can basically rewrite provisions that it disagrees with. As you can imagine, that process can lead to jockeying and uncertainty. For example, imagine interest group A learns of MEDUFA provisions that it doesn't like. The interest group then goes to a Congress member to air its grievances. That member, in turn, asks FDA to explain the provisions at issue and, in some cases, suggests changes. That process can lead to basic differences in the user fee agreement. It's totally unpredictable, but it's part of the congressional review process, and sometimes it happens. Now let's talk about congressional riders. User fees are must-pass legislation. This means that there has to be legislated device user fees. Otherwise, CDRH just can't operate. So come hell or high water, Congress is going to pass a device user fee package next year. And knowing this, other Congress members hang what's called Christmas tree ornaments to the device user fee package. And these ornaments are separate legislative proposals that are tied to the user fee package so that when the package passes, their proposals pass with it. For example, some Congress observers believe that this rider process is the way that the 21st Century Cures Part 2 proposed legislation will get passed. Okay, so let's start wrapping this up. Tell me, what's the bottom line here? Do user fees matter? Yes, they do. All the problems that we've talked about, the misalignment between goals and results, industry and CDRH working across purposes, congressional confusion, those points are true. But also true is the fact that user fees just work. CDRH is better able to conduct critical activities and is more accountable for those activities because of user fees. And with that, we'll close out today's podcast. You can catch our next episode of Speaking of MedTech in early January. We'll be taking a look ahead at 2022 at some things the medical device industry should keep an eye on as it goes through the new year. You can check out the first four episodes of Speaking of MedTech online now at medtechinsight.com. And while you're there, listen to MedTech Insight's weekly Device Week podcast, where our journalists talk about current events in the MedTech space. And always remember, you can follow us on Twitter at MedTech underscore Insight. Until next time, thanks for listening.